challenges and the things that the enemy seeks to do in these times. Every one of us must understand that as people who love God, we must walk and operate by this love to love what he loves and hate what he hates. God loves people and he desires to relate with people. And so we do ourselves a world of good by loving people. I have always said this and I will keep saying it. I was training some leaders Yesterday, the Kintoi and I went to a place, uh, a church, a lovely church in Derby, uh, for on behalf of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, preparing people for the tour that is coming on later on in the year in about four different parts of the country. And uh, we, we were, there were these 75 or 77 thereabouts leaders who were present from different churches, including that church, and uh, I was privileged to be training them on preparing for evangelism and outreach. And one of the things that I did say to them is that we are people who must understand consistently that God is counting on us to do certain things. God, when Jesus was here on earth, he said that I am sending you to be my witnesses. I am leaving this earth physically, but you are now my physical representations. He said, I am the light of the world. And But he has said, now you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So every one of us must understand that we have a duty, not just to live for ourselves, but to consistently live for God. And part of how we live for him is to hate what he hates in our lives and uh, in the lives of people around us. So we must relate with God. God is against everything that the enemy uses to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This is why Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. The Bible refers to those things as seven things that are an abomination unto God. They are an abomination unto God. Seven things that are an abomination unto God. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 has been our theme scripture in relation to those six things the Lord hates and seven that are an abomination unto him. Let's go together. Proverbs chapter 6 from verse 16. Let's read. The, no, verse 16. Let's go now. The, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. 17. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. In our first three parts of the series, we had looked at a proud look uh, in our second session a lying tongue in our third session, and today we are looking at hands that shed innocent blood. The Bible says God hates those kind of hands that shed innocent blood. Let's go to verse 18 for the things that we'll be looking at from next week. Verse 18, let's go. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run into evil, and uh, verse 19 says, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. Do we have our banner at all today? Because we can see very well how those things have been spelled out in our banners. That is it. We are on number four, uh, which we have just short titled Hate Blood Shed. Hate Blood Shed. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. So we, we participate in hating what he hates by hating the shedding of innocent blood. So this is our session today. To focus on God's hatred on hands that shed innocent blood so that we can also hate it. You see, thank you for the banner. Now, God is against murder. Right from the time he created man, we can see clearly that God stood against the very first murder that took place. This is why no matter which land you go, every murderous act is a violation of the law. No matter how primitive the land is. And so people who commit acts of murder are punished, even in our physical realms. Now, the first murder that was committed or uh, that we, was evidenced in the Bible was by a man called Cain, who killed his brother, as we know his story. There were just about four people on the earth at that point, but yet here was one taking the life of another. And um, God avenged the shed blood of Abel because God hates the shedding of innocent blood. I want us to quickly remind ourselves of that story in Genesis chapter 4 from verse 6. Genesis chapter 4 from verse 6. The Bible says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? This is when the two brothers went 
from, if you read it from verse 1, they went and offered. Cain was a man who was a tiller of ground. So it was like what you would call a farmer of herbs and you know, crops today. So it was a tiller of ground. But Abel was a man who was a hunter and dealt much more with uh, animals. So Cain brought of his own uh, uh, harvest to the Lord to sacrifice, which was the herbs of the field and the fruits. And Abel obviously brought a, a burnt sacrifice. Now, God preferred the sacrifice of Abel, not because it was an animal sacrifice, but because Abel's heart was right with God. Abel's heart was full of thanksgiving. But Cain brought what he brought out of a lot of disgruntlement, out of uh, discontentment and uh, frustration. Because we can see, the Bible didn't use those words exactly, but we can see his words and his actions after that shows that he was a very confused man. He was somebody who was doing things for the sake of it. So he was very angry. And then the Bible says in verse 6, we had just read, So the Lord now said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Let's read from verse 7 together. Everybody, let's go. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Not that if you had brought animals. It's just about you doing well. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You have the capacity to rule over it. You have the power to rule over it. He said, if you do well. This is why many Christians today say, but Lord, I serve you. I do this. I pay my tithes. I give offering. I give to the poor. I help. Why is my situation still like this? That is a cane that is speaking there. That is a cane that is speaking there. Tell you. There's no difference. No difference. It's just a context of different dispensations and dispositions. You cannot be doing the right things in frustration and expect to get the right rewards. No, they don't work that way. You do the right things with the right heart. And that is what Abel did. Not that because he brought animals. His heart was right with God. It was supposed to be a thanksgiving sacrifice to say, Lord, thank you. This is the produce of the work I do. That is how you should bring your tithes and offerings. I don't pay my tithe because somebody said pay tithe or is the Old Testament or New Testament. I come and say, Lord, I thank you. I have a job and I have sources of income that you have given me. So I am glad every month to release it to God as a first thing. Then many offerings to say thank you on a weekly, regular basis. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It is not a fine. <laughs> it's not a monthly due. <laughs> it's not monthly due. It is my own determination of appreciation. I want to be like Abel, who, who brought the things that God gave to him that he knew that he would not have had. And in 30 years, to the glory of this, my God, I have never lacked an income. Even when I've changed countries many times. God cannot but be committed to those who understand the place of true sacrifice. I want to get you to understand why many people get to bloodshed like Cain. If you do well, verse 7 again please. If you do well. There will be no room for envy, jealousy. There will be no room for those things that are working in your heart now that is making you think I'm favoring your brother much more. Some people have become discouraged from doing the things of God. Some pastors have become discouraged because they look at other pastors that started be, be after them. They have been on for 15 years. And then this is this pastor who has just started five years. And everybody in the town seems to be going to them. Then they get bitter. Say, Lord, I've been faithful, I've been this, I've been that. Not understanding that there is a pattern and there is a way for everyone. There is an assignment for everyone. That's why you can never see two birds collide in the air. Have you ever seen two birds flying and then they jam each other in the air? <laughs> planes, yes, because we made planes. <laughs> Human beings made planes, that's why they crash. We have seen planes that crashed in the air before. Many, many years ago, it was very rare, but now we have seen a few cases where... Two planes actually collided in the air, you know. But you can never see two birds created by God collide in the air. It's a big space. 
Each bird doing well, flying, soaring. In fact, I'm sure they whisper to each other. (laughs) See, this is good. Everyone must understand that if we do well, we will always be accepted. So, this terrible spirit that I want us to address today, this spirit of of murder, this spirit of hatred, got into Cain, verse 8. One day, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass, verse 8. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. He could take it no more. He killed him. He, he could not even bear seeing his own brother anymore. His own blood brother. He killed him. He killed him. He did not even just beat him up. He killed him to eliminate him completely, thinking that that was going to get rid of his bitterness. That was going to get rid of his anger. He killed him. He killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, verse 9, Where is Abel, your brother? One of those questions that I always say, God asks, not because he doesn't know what has happened, but because he's still giving a chance for repentance. Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The language of a frustrated man is coming out. Am I my brother's keeper? Why do you ask me? Am I his father? Am I his mother? (laughs) (laughs) hallelujah and he said God went straight to the point in verse 10 and he said what have you done the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground so now verse 11 this is the side of God every human being must always be, be afraid to cross to let's read it together verse 11 So now you are cursed from the earth which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Verse 12, especially. Verse 12. When, let's go, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. Can you see why many lives are frustrated? Many people open their mouth these days and talk against pastors. They say those pastors, all of those pastors. They just use phrases like that. All those pastors are rogues. That is why when they are tilling the ground, (laughs) it's not yielding for them. And more and more frustration is coming to them. Forget about the billions and millions that some of them have. There is a lot of frustration in them. In fact, most of those vexations is out of frustration. He said, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on earth. Now, I am being very graphic about this story that I'm sure... All of us, most of us, if not all of us, should know. So that we can take some certain steps not to be like Cain. Because it is so easy. Not that you will take a knife and kill a person. But I will soon show you the New Testament version of what the Bible calls murder. It is not just the physical act. The sin of hatred is regarded as murder. And it is equally hated by God. God hates hatred. God hates hatred. Hatred in the heart of a a person to another is akin to murder. You know, there are things that the Bible will say, the sin of witchcraft, the sin of rebellion is like witchcraft. The sin of hatred is also like murder. Because many believers, when they hear things like this, they say, I can't kill, so I've never killed anybody. I will show you today that you probably have killed about five you didn't know. And may God deliver every one of us in Jesus' name. Because the Bible says when you hate a person, you have murdered. Let's read it in 1 John. 1 John 3. 1 John 3. We're going to read it together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Let's go together. Thank you. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Let's go together. We're reading. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. That's important. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Let's keep going. Verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother, And why did he murder him? 
because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Verse 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised. If you are like Abel and there is a cane around you that is just wondering, why is this person loved by God? Why is this person so favored by God? Why is everything working for them? And that cane could be, sadly, a fellow brother or an unbeliever. It doesn't matter. It's just somebody who cannot stand. So John said, don't marvel if the world hates you. Let's go to verse 14. He said, we know that we have, verse 14, everybody together. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Not because he's breathing and people think he's alive, but he is in death because he does not love his brother. And then everybody, I want us to read verse 15 very clearly, loud and clear. Verse 15, verse 15, let's go. Verse 15. Can we have verse 15, everybody together now? Whoever hates his brother is... Take it again. Whoever hates his brother is a... One more time. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Not whoever takes a knife and stabs his brother, or takes a gun and shoots his brother. Whoever hates, whoever means whoever, whether they are titled or not titled, whether they are frocked or defrocked or unfrocked. <laughs> whoever is whoever. Everyone must understand that there is no tolerance by God for any form of hatred. Hatred is a spirit of the enemy. He said, not as Cain, whose wickedness, who, had the, who was of the wicked one, Hatred is of the wicked one and it stirred up a man to murder his brother. And the Bible makes us to understand today that whoever hates his brother is equally a murderer. We need to understand that as we journey through life, we are surrounded by, we will be surrounded by a lot of haters. That's why he said, do not marvel in verse 13. Do not marvel if the world hates you. But we need to be sensitive to the spirit of hate around us. First, let's be sensitive to those who would hate us. I want us to start from there before we look at how we would not be haters ourselves. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 17. It says, Better is the dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Better to be eating cabbage, lettuce, <laughs> and all those kind of vegetables where love is than to have steak. <laughs> I'm reading modern English now. Than to have steak where what? Where there is hatred. Better. Better. This is why we must be sensitive. You don't, we don't run away from haters. You know somebody hates you. I've known, I've seen a few people in my life. When I was very young, I was last born of my, of my parents and uh, I grew up with many elderly people. So I was always liked. So I thought that that life, I grew up thinking that life, everybody just loves you in life because that was my life. Everybody wanted to give to David. He was the baby of the house. So David, 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 that was it. So suddenly God saw that this guy doesn't have sense. <laughs> he doesn't have sense. He doesn't know this world at all. So from that kind of background, God just took me Went with my father innocently. I didn't know anything. They took us, he took us to the United States in 1978. I was nine years old, barely nine years old. Took us to the United States when he wanted to start his PhD, his MPhil and PhD. And uh, they put me in a school. I was the only colored child, black child, in a school of 300 kids. For the first time in my life, I felt like fish out of water. And that was when God started to show me that there are times in life, there are some people who just couldn't stand me. Children and, and teachers alike. They can't stand me. They look at me and, like I'm an alien. Actually, my passport says I'm an alien in any way. <laughs> in America those days, if you are a visitor or you are on a visa, they, I don't think they do it anymore. Maybe they've told them that it is strange to do so. 
they will label you alien Oloke. <laughs> My father was principal alien. <laughs> I was a dependent alien. <laughs> I still have that passport somewhere. We used to have Nigerian passports like a book like that. I, I think I, I kept it for a long time. But you see, the truth is, that was my first exposure to understand. Some people just hated me for being black. They just see me and they, they'll be like, who is this guy? What's he doing here? And I was barely, I was just nine going to ten. I was like, what is this? I didn't know that that was God's way of training me to understand that in life, there are some people that will not like you. Not because you've done anything to them, just for being who you are. Whom God has created you to be. So I started to, over, my, I went to my father, I cried, I said, Dad, this is too much for me, I can't take this anymore. And my dad was very, very simple to live with. <laughs> he had very simple rules, no argument. He said, so you, do you want to go back to Nigeria? I'm here to study. If you're ready to go back, I'll send you <laughs> next week. I said, no, I'm not going anywhere. He said, well, son, that's the school you've got to be. What many of you will not understand is you may be looking at America today. 1979 was just 20 years after the first black child was introduced in the in the in a mixed school for the first time. Just 20 years, just 20 years. 1979. Ruby Bridges was the first black child to be put in a, in a in a white school as an experiment in 1959. So some states were still very fresh. Some states had never seen it. The school had never had a black child. So that I can paint the picture very well. Because if you are looking at it in the context of today, you say, what is strange about it? It's not. It was very difficult. On the school bus, nobody will sit with me. Not because I said anything, but because I was black. So the row I'm sitting, I'll be alone. It should be three people. The row in front of me, nobody. The row behind me, nobody. So in the whole bus, you will see them cramped in different corners, and I'll be there like that with my bag. <laughs> you felt horrible. So when my dad said, son, we don't have a choice, this is where we're going to do the thing. In my little way, I now got understanding that I will have to fight this out. So when I'm going to school, I carry my violin in one hand. Let's help the children. I carry my violin in one hand and carry my bag in the other. When I enter the bus, as if I knew that I would have three free seats to myself, I put my violin in the front, I put my bag in the back, and then I'll spread like that. <laughs> Me too, I started to pass a message that I don't care. <laughs> I don't care anymore. That was how God started to train me to be tough. Fast forward 42 years later. Today I serve in a senior management team of a university of about 30 people. I'm the only black person there. When God starts to train you in something, understand that it is because of what is ahead. Haters around you should not stop you from becoming who God wants you to be. Now I've used race. Race is just one of those things that happens in life. In the reality, people will hate you. Some people will hate you for your faith, for your standing, for your faith. You will be hated. But the Bible says, better is a dinner of herbs. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. So it simply means watch your step and protect yourself. But what you must understand is that God is the defense of the innocent. I say God is your defense. Proverbs 26, 26 says, though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. Proverbs 26, 26. I need some action with the verses, please. Thank you. Proverbs 26, 26. It says, though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. God will continue to show you Around God will continue to show you how to get on in places where hatred may be abounding in your life. Don't be afraid of it. God fights and vindicates for those who are victimized, especially his children who are victimized for standing for his truth and for his word. In the mighty name of Jesus. Proverbs Psalm 44 verse 7 says, But you have saved us from our enemies, and you have put to shame those who hated us. Proverbs 44, verse 7. He said, but you have saved us from our enemies and put to shame those who hated us. You have put them to shame. He will continue to put them to shame. I say he will continue to put them to shame. In the name of Jesus. It is very important to understand that what God is seeking to do in your life is not to remove you from where you will have challenges. 
It is to help you to understand how to shine your light, how to be the salt of the earth, where there is evident hatred and those things that may be working contrary and against you. May God continue to grant us strength in the name of Jesus. So he is the avenger. Numbers 35, verse 19. He said, the avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies. Or in enmity, he strikes him with his hand so that he dies. He said, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. The avenger of death does continue to put to death those who are haters. He said, because he's a murderer. He's a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. Why am I making this emphasis? It says it is better to have the dinner of herbs where there is love, but rather than having the fatted calf where there is hatred. But understand that that does not mean that you should be running away from where God wants you to be. The avenger of blood continues to put to continue to put to death every murderous act, every hatred against you in the name of Jesus. He continues to be your defense. Psalm 71, verse 7. David said, I am as a wonder unto many, but you, O God, are my strong refuge. God is the one who protects those who put their trust in him. So you have no business whatsoever. I, like I gave you my life experience, I have learned from that time to understand that wherever God has put me is where he put me. And I am there by God, and there is nothing any human being can do about it. You must learn that and have it for yourself. So that when you see hatred and haters, you don't get discouraged. Many people have robbed themselves short of enjoying the places that God wants them to be in destiny because they were afraid of haters. They were worried that they had haters. If you are going to live like that, you will cut yourself short, and you will not be able to achieve the thing God wants you to achieve. Some people have been driven out of their matrimonial homes because of haters, hatred from in-laws. They've been driven out of their rightful matrimonial homes because some mother-in-law or some father-in-law just doesn't want to reckon with them. Identify those people. And it's a very simple formula. My wife and I use it very much. If we, we, we said it way before we got married, that we need to identify people who are trouble spots. <laughs> I identify my own, you identify your own. Let's know them. <laughs> and I'll tell you, see this uncle, this, that one, this, just be careful. <laughs> and then she will tell me the same thing. And then what do we do? We protect each other against those people because you can't do anything about them. You can't do anything about them. When you have family function and they all gather, they will still want to come and do their bad, bad behavior. Well, a lot of things have changed for us now, but it happened a lot in the earlier days. But if we don't understand that how we, part of how we preserve our marriages is to protect our spouses from our notorious family members. Because you know them, except you want to deceive yourself. You know them. Some of them, sadly, are our mothers or our fathers. I love my mother so much. I love her so much, and she knows it. She taught me how to read when I was only three years old. The woman, I owe her a lot. I thank God for her life. She's 86 years old now. And I thank God for her. I love her so much. God sees my heart. But I know that when we got married, because of the relationship we had, there was a guard I had to put as a small layer of filter that before she gets to my wife, she should get to me first. <laughs> Otherwise, there will be a problem. Because there is always that issue of who is this one coming to take my beloved son away. You know, It's natural. Some of you are looking at me now. Better be preparing yourself for it. <laughs> When that young girl comes, you say, hello, ma. <laughs> you say, who is this one? Where is she coming from? <laughs> Prepare yourself for it. He's going to come. She's going to come and take him away, whether you like it or not. But you must develop capacity not to hate or get into a situation that is not good. So we should protect each other from every one of those things. I want to now go to things we need to do to be very careful not to walk in hatred. So that we can understand the sources, what I call the sources of hatred. We must know the sources of hatred. Number one source of hatred is envy and jealousy. Nobody outgrows envy. Never say, I can never be envious. That is, in fact, it will start from that very point. (laughs) Never say, I can never be envious. Because the spirit to desire excellence and growth... It's so close. It operates the same way. 
with the spirit of envy. We become many times what we become in life because we saw others become those things many, many times. We are inspired by the story of others to do the things that are good, which is all positive. All positive. But you see, the same way that spirit works to put that desire that I like this. You heard me talk many times about pastors that I follow that have been in ministry 50 years, 60 years, and I keep looking at their biography, looking at how they did it, how they went through different stages of ministry, the first 10 years, the first 20 years, the first 30 years, and I keep studying and studying. I don't envy them. I am inspired by their story. But it can be easy to envy them. It's the same thing. The same desire to see God move in your life, the way he's moving in their life, can easily be perverted by the devil to make you want what they've got. Then that becomes envy and jealousy. Esau was cheated. Last week we looked at his story very well. He was cheated out of his birthright by uh, by his own brother Jacob. And the Bible says in Genesis 27 verse 41, something came into him. He said, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing. We know that he was stolen from him, but hatred came in, and that's still not of God. He, Esau, hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said, where? Esau said, where? Esau said, where? This is where most envyings take place. Most people shaking hands with you are full of envy of you. Every time they say, oh boy, how are you? Oh girl, how are you? Spirit of envy <laughs> is raveling in their heart. He said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will do what? You are not reading it. Read it. You don't want to read it. We will read it. All of us will read it. Let's go now. So Jacob hated everybody. Jacob hated Sorry, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The difference between Esau and Cain was that God touched Esau and Esau responded. Because we know that as at Genesis 32, we saw that Esau was a very changed man who embraced his brother and forgave him. And we believe, Bible scholars believe, that that action of embracing his brother Jacob, when Jacob had told his whole family to watch out, that man wants to kill me, and he wants to kill all of us. (laughs) So you you go this way, you you go that way, so that at least if he captures one, (laughs) Jacob was a very funny man. He distributed his whole family to four places. So at least when you attack one, the remaining three (laughs) will Esau said, no, 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 don't do that. God has helped me. He has now blessed me. And then he embraced him. Now, Bible scholars believe, and I believe very strongly also, that that one embrace in Genesis 32 led to the same reason why Joseph, who was a little boy, watching his father Jacob and his uncle Esau embrace each other after all the stories he had heard about his uncle Esau, and the relationship with his father Jacob is the same spirit he embraced that helped him to embrace his brothers much later on after they sold him. It is very important that we understand that these are seeds that we have to deal with. So, the point I'm trying to make about Esau is that he was ready to kill. Thank God for divine intervention. The truth is, don't allow anything to be hatred. Now, I brought this particular story because this man was justified to be a hater in the physical. Somebody stole something from you. How many of you have ever seen a burglar that broke into your house or stole your things and then you, you did not, you, you just felt that there was no issue about it? No, it's not natural. <laughs> it's not natural. <laughs> Again, when I was very young, Somebody broke into our house, and um, those were the days we had these television sets that were like boxes, you know, just about the size of this table. Some of you, I have to describe it because some of you have never seen such before. We watched the same type of thing. <laughs> there was no remote control. Remote? How can there be remote control in a box like that? <laughs> so we were the remote control for dad and mom when they are watching. 
Say, David, go and change to <laughs> channel this thing. Go and fling the thing. <laughs> anyway, we had that, and we had some stereo gramophone like that. That one was like a coffin. When they opened it at the top, they played the record. You put it inside. Those things were cool, those days. If you, if you came to our house, we showed our friends. Come and see our <laughs> TV. <laughs> The TV used to wear some cloth like that. They would pour it, they would <laughs> cover it with the cloth. <laughs> so TV starts at 4 p.m. and they close at midday. So at 4, it's like a ceremony. <laughs> all of us, we come out. My father, we all veiled it. <laughs> he will unveil it and then he will turn the key. That is the chance to watch TV. <laughs> Anyway, the truth is somebody came and stole that thing. <laughs> and he, the funniest part of the story was that the man, when he, he, he was carrying it, as he reached the window, the window was high. He did not calculate very well. So when he saw <laughs> how high the window was, he knew, because we were now coming from the other side of the house, he knew that he had footsteps. So he could now no longer carry the the TV, he dropped it by the door, by the window, quickly went over, and then he broke his leg as he came down. So by the time we reached the window looking now, we saw one person hopping like that. <laughs> My father said, leave him, he has got his reward. Leave him, leave him, he has got his reward. <laughs> but what amazed me is that somebody can still come and steal that kind of thing, you know. So people, what I'm saying is that people can be envious of things. People can be envious of your life. They had a reason, Esau had a reason to be envious, but God was not happy with it. And God came to him and God softened his heart. Envy and jealousy are very foolish traits that result from spiritual blindness. And God promises that he will punish every envy-related hatred, whether it is justifiable or not. Ezekiel 35 verse 10, the Bible says, because you have said these two nations and these two countries shall be mine and we will possess them. Although the Lord was there, Ezekiel 35 verse 11, he said, therefore, as I live, says the, says the Lord God, I will do according to your anger and according to the envy which you showed in your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Again, God vindicates those who envy you. David said, don't let your heart envy sinners. Don't let anything be big enough for you to envy. Most people who are envious and jealous of others do not understand. I always say, somebody said, the, green, the grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? The grass is always greener on the other side. But what most people don't know is that the, the people in the other side are doing certain things that help them to make sure that the grass remains green. They are doing certain things to help them make sure that the grass remains green. If they give the man whose grass is brown the same field, it's just a matter of time and his grass will turn brown. Do you understand what I'm saying? The man who is envying the grass on the other side and is hating the person on the other side for having green grass doesn't know what the man who has green grass does on a daily basis. Watering those places when there is no rain. Making sure that they are well trimmed. Removing the weed that keeps the grass green. He has no clue. If they give him, just change the houses. That same man who had the green grass, give him time. His, that brown field they gave him will become green again. And the man who had the brown grass, will now, the, who had brown originally, will kill the grass on the other side because he doesn't know what is being done. He is just full of envy. We must not allow envy of, an, uh, of any kind to come into our lives. It is a very subtle spirit, as I said. And then people become jealous because of the achievement of others. A lot of us belong to WhatsApp groups these days. It's a very common thing of mates. I'm one of the very privileged to belong to some of the oldest groups because our generation, we finished university in 1989, which is 33 years ago this year, and we're still in touch, almost all of us. Just last week, we had a meeting planning. We always plan what we do for 
the university we finished from, uh, one of us, one of us actually at this point in time is a professor, is a dean of faculty. And, uh, you know, he gives us feedback about the challenges and so on. Now, 33 years is a long time. It's a long time. Some of our mates have done exceptionally well, very well. One of them is a, is a medical, sorry, is a managing director of Chevron, I think it is. I keep forgetting. It's of Mobile, Mobile, Mobile in Nigeria. And a lot of them in Canada, a few of us here in the, in the UK, some across Europe, some back home. But every, a lot of the 70% of us did very, very well. But then we have a few of us who somehow not so well. So we decided. And then people said a lot of them are keeping away because, of course, naturally they feel, let me not be a part, you know, and all that. So we took it upon ourselves that, no, it shouldn't be happening. Shouldn't be happening. Everybody should be free. This is a platform that we all come to celebrate being alive much more than anything else, not our accomplishments per se. So we set up a welfare committee to make sure that anyone in challenge, anyone having issues like that, is always taken care of. No room for envy or jealousy. But you know, it's a very, it takes a lot of discipline and the fear of God for people not to be envious of each other in such places. Yeah? Some of us have children today. One of us, all these children are, you know, graduates and all that and all that. And so many kind of things. Some people have become grandparents more than five years ago and so on and so forth. Life happens. God has a track for everybody. Just take your lane and enjoy it. God knows. He is not mean to you. I say he's not mean to you. He loves you just as you are. There are some people who you married at the same time and, uh, you know, immediately they have their children. There are some that have waited five years. Some wait. I have been with friends. You know my friend. I told you his story. He waited 25 years. He doesn't. His son is two years old today. We married this. Just him. I, I was his best man a month before my wedding. His son is just two years old today. Life is happening. We're enjoying it. The young man is enjoying more than ever because not only his parents, we're all his parents. <laughs> He's just enjoying life because we're all his parents. We are all celebrating his life. God has a way. Never let your heart be envious of anyone because once there is envy, hatred will follow. May God deliver us from every spirit of envy. In the name of Jesus. Number two thing is bitterness. They are all very closely related, but they are distinct. Bitterness is when somebody starts to feel a, a taste of disgust. Many times they cannot explain why, but at times it's simply because they cannot handle the success of others. They feel disgusted. It's not yet complete hatred, but it's a, it is a stage that will lead to hatred of that person. The Bible says that we have to be very careful because bitterness can defy many. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. Have I got media today? Hebrews 12, 14. says, Pursue peace, thank you, with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15 says, Looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God. Let's read it together. Least any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. Bitterness leads to hatred, and hatred, when it grows, will lead to strife, and it will lead. It could lead to murderous acts. Every one of us must understand that we should not allow bitterness in our hearts and when we spot it around us, if you find that somebody is bitter, you can pick it up in their attitude. They snap at you. They challenge everything you do. If you are part of a team, when you say something, they are quick to respond. You know, you need to call that brother, say, sister, hope everything is fine. Say, what is it? I'm fine. I'm fine. My hands are blessed with the blessings of. Say, I know. You say when they when I touch. Say, but wait. I notice. <laughs> Is there anything we need to pray about? Is there anything we need to talk about? Because it's so important. 
In my experience of ministry, I have learned to fish out bitterness very quickly now. If I find it by the grace of God, God has been helping us as a church. We are just coming to nine years. God has been helping us. But I've learned that if you spot bitterness, before it goes on for too long, you need to call the person and prevent them from growing in it. Because the Bible says that root of bitterness can spring forth and it can defile many. Many people have become bitter in organizations and they spread that bitterness to other people and then they pull people with them and some people have lost their jobs. It is very common in church life. All my life I have seen many people leave some churches en masse because of the bitterness of one person. I've seen it over and over. The person gets bitter and if it's not taken care of, it goes about looking for the one that can be bitter with him or her. Say, do you, do you, when he meets the person that is not ready to be bitter, they move on. They, they, are, not, they are not interested. When they find the one that is willing to party, say, you too. Say, you too. Ah, me too. I've been seen. Ah, okay, let's go along. Let's go along. Do you know that this is, say, hey, ah, me too. Are ah, you too? Me too. Okay, let's go along. <laughs> Before you know it, it spreads like a cancer. Now, if you are spiritually sensitive as a leader, you will sense it, but many times you can't handle it. But what I find that God does is that he will let you see the root. The Bible calls it the root of bitterness. So you need to call that person. And you know what people should understand is this. At times, a desire to fulfill the will of God can be boiling on your inside to go and do what God called you to do. But the devil who does not want the expansion of this kingdom will convert it to bitterness. Be very careful. You can identify it. So all you need to do is if you feel that you are no longer fitting in a place or you no longer can fit into that place, especially in a church, what you need to do, I'm saying this because obviously it goes online and anybody can be listening, so I'm not talking only to about our church. What you need to do is to go to the person and say, I feel this strong nudge that I should do this, I should go and do this. But I don't know how to take the step. I don't know when, I don't know how. A sensible pastor will sit down and pray with you and encourage you and help you. Everything they can. A true pastor will help you. He will not try to bury it and say, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody about it. <laughs> no, he won't. So instead of you bottling it up on your inside and letting the devil take advantage of that to, for you to look for faults, to try and fight your way out, to make it look as if there was a problem, you should not allow such a thing. This is the problem in many churches today where you find that people have become bitter like that then they convert it to a problem. And then it looks as if there is a problem when there is no problem. We all have to be very careful. Couples can become bitter against each other. It's very simple to know. The same man, when, you, when he walks into the room before, your light, eyes will lighten up. Now when he walks in, it's like they should give you something. I won't mention the thing. And just, you know, chop off some other... <laughs> That's bitterness. You are bitter against your own husband. You are bitter against your wife. You are bitter against your child. You are bitter against your parents. So when you find the root of bitterness, go before God. If there is a conversation to be had with the person, make sure you have the conversation. Otherwise, you go before God and say, Lord, remove every root of bitterness from me. And pronounce, I love this person. I love this person. It is very easy to become bitter against a pastor or a leader of a church. It's very, very easy. All my life I've been in church. I've seen it over and over. Because people will have, could have issues at times and they feel the pastor hasn't helped, the pastor hasn't done this, hasn't done that. It's so easy. And so if you feel that you have been disappointed in any way, shape or form, I want to urge you, always go to the person concerned. Don't let bitterness, bitterness is not worth it one bit. It robs you of your joy and peace. When you should be happy lying down at, at night, you know, it's cool, it's, you've worked, you now need to rest. As you close your eyes, you'll be remembering the thing again. It robs you of your sleep. And the person you are bitter against is, is enjoying somewhere. <laughs> so don't allow bitterness. Proverbs 10:12 says, Hatred tears up strife, but love covers all sins. Walk in love. Tell your neighbor for me, keep walking in love. Hatred will tear up strife, and we must always understand it. When the people were being preached to by Stephen and they became bitter in Acts chapter 7. Stephen pointed out to them that they rejected Christ whom God has sent to them and they were very angry. 
when he was telling them about their journey from the Old Testament and telling them about how God brought Abraham and so on. They did not have problem. The moment he said that God sent his son Jesus Christ and you rejected him, they became very bitter. Look at Acts chapter 7 verse 54. He said, when they had these sayings, they were cut to their heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. They were cut to their heart and they gnashed at him just by hearing words of truth. They gnashed their teeth at him with their, they gnashed at him with their teeth. And verse 55. Let's read verse 57 together. Verse 57. Go straight. Thank you. He said, Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. You'll find that in verse 58. Everyone must understand that we have a duty to make sure that bitterness is not given place in our heart. It is very easy to become bitter with people. It's very easy to become bitter with yourself. At times, people are bitter with themselves. They feel that they have bungled up too many things in life and then they become bitter with themselves. It robs you of the potential to enjoy a better tomorrow. Don't allow bitterness of any kind. And then many people become bitter out of generalization. Many people see people from certain countries and they have had nasty experience maybe with those people. And then they now generalize. Everybody from that country must be like that. Then they become bitter against them. Many people have become bitter because they suffered a particular kind of loss by people who have maybe come into the area from other places and things. And then it becomes a problem. We all must understand that we have a duty not to allow bitterness in any way. Like I did say at the beginning, a lot of people are bitter against pastors today across the world. One can almost say rightly so. Rightly so because there has been a lot of abuse from the pulpit of traditional churches to modern churches and so on. There have been a lot of abuse that have taken place, but this does not in any way blanket it to mean that all pastors are abusers of people. Let us not allow that kind of thing to make us bitter. Many people are no more Christians today because they became bitter with their leaders in church life. And because of that, they felt no other church is viable, no other church is real. We should not allow such. When you meet such people, encourage them. Get planted in the church. Get planted in another church and protect yourself. And always remember, everybody you meet in the church, from the pastor to everyone that is just being born into the family, church family, is work in progress. Everybody is work in progress. It is not a justification, but we must all do it. Many people get bitter when they see people, Christians, especially, again, pastors, seem to live lives that are comfortable and uh, they, they seem to be on top of things. And they have good places they live. They use good cars and have things that, you know, they could, they should have. Some people just get bitter. They say, oh, what do you, who are you? Say, I'm pastor. They say, oh, ah, no wonder. <laughs> pastor Moses is, he, he's, he's, he's laughing over, over something that I just remembered as he started to laugh. They just get bitter. They don't know you. They don't know what you do. They don't know the work you do. Somebody wrote me something the other day and he said, you know, you pastors and this. I said, do you know that I have been a professional engineer for 30 years across country? He kept quiet. <laughs> he kept quiet. You don't buy that. In a, it's not about pastor at all. Thank God I'm a pastor. But you don't know. You know how many hours I work? As I'm speaking to you now, I know how many hours I will still drive in the next 24 hours. You don't know how many hours I work. If I pick up my phone, you can come after the service. I'll show you. Appointments from 9 a.m. tomorrow till 5 p.m. On, on, on Friday. Intense meetings that I have to be chairing some of them. And I'll be the one telling people what to do. And by this point, I still haven't done all the notes. Do you know? <laughs> do you know? So if God blesses me, and does things in my life, and you don't know the background and the root of all that is going on, you will become, you could become bitter. And there are loads of pastors like me who are not on a church salary 
and are being blessed by God because they are simply obeying the call to serve. They are simply obeying the call to serve. The moment I said, Lord, here am I, send me. He took my life, took my professional life, took my education life, all the things that I do, and took them to another level. And me, myself, I know that is because I answered and heeded his call. Please, don't let bitterness come in. Don't be bitter against another couple. Don't be bitter against another person for whatever reason. Let your heart be content with the things that God is giving to you, which will take me to my final point. The third thing. The first thing is what? That leads to hatred, envy and jealousy. Number two, bitterness. Now, number three, lust and covetousness. If you look at all these things, they look all very similar, but there is a way we can separate them. Lust and covetousness. James chapter 4 verse 1. He said, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from the desires for pleasure that war in your members? The man who is shooting bombs across his border today and sending tanks into another country today, there is a war going on on his inside. That is what we see that is playing out. In the war, doesn't just start that people just carry guns and start shooting each other or say, you go and conquer that country. There is a war, there is a lust in the inside of such a person. I wrote something on Facebook recently about two days ago. It's not new. Why are people surprised? It's not new. In 1941, this was how Hitler said, I'm going to do this. People say, yo, you can't do it. Then he, can't, he conquered Poland. <laughs> When I went to Poland four years ago, I was asking my colleague there. I said, I want to know the history. How was it? He said, everybody just had to give up. Of course, this is more than 80 years ago, so things have changed. But he conquered Poland. Before they knew it, he went into Ukraine. Before they knew it, he was just going about. It was when the devil entered him to say, he's coming to Britain. That was when he... <laughs> that was when... <laughs> What's that, my friend? Mr. Um, uh, Churchill. That's when Churchill showed him that, no, in this part of the world, <laughs> you don't overrun us very easily. <laughs> he said, we will fight by God. <laughs> With his cigar in his mouth, he said, we are, we are sons of God. <laughs> that, was what saved, that was what saved this country and saved Europe. And thank God for, for, for the Americans as well. The world must not watch it again. It is a war within. Please, can I have James 1, 4, verse 1? James 4, 1. Those scriptures should be shown. He said, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Somebody doesn't just jump from lust into adultery. There is a war on his inside, giving him an insatiable desire to lust for another person's property whether it's another person's wife or husband or another person's thing. People can lust for things. He said, but it is something that, thank you, it's something that comes, I put there James 4 from verse 1 to 3. It is something that comes from their inside. It is a desire for pleasure rather than war, that war from their members on the inside. Look at verse 2, verse 2. He said, you lust and do not have. Then what do you do next? And cannot obtain. I hope they can read this verse to Mr. Putin. Because what he thinks he can obtain by force is instead of stopping the loss that is from his inside to for more and more. Russia is one of the most powerful. I don't want to be a political person. I'm not a politician. But Russia is one of the most powerful nations on earth. Their space technology is, is rivaling none. Americans like to claim that they have a better thing. But the truth is the Russians are advanced. They are sophisticated. They've got money. They've got money. When they say they are freezing their accounts, I told my wife, I said it's a waste of time. The money they have that is not in any system that you can freeze, only God knows. What, what are you talking about? So we have to be very careful. Look at, the Bible said this way before he was born. He said you lost and do not have. That did not satisfy you. You took Crimea and all those places. It didn't satisfy you. He said you now murder. You are now going into murder and you are converting. But you know what? You cannot obtain. You cannot obtain. If we bring it down to our own lives, this is exactly what it is. He said you fight and war, yet you do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. When David went and took Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, by force, Nathan came to him and said, 
Do you know that there is no woman in this kingdom that God cannot give you? Why must you do that? When Amnon, his son, wanted to sleep with and went and raped his own daughter, and what did, what did um, uh, the, the, the girl say to him? Tamar. Tamar said to Amnon, he said, do you know that there is nothing that the king will withhold from Even if you say it is me you want to marry, the king can veto it and say, these my two children are marrying each other. Go and read your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 13. So if we cannot conquer lust, the last element of the fruit of the spirit is called self-control. You don't use self-control only against anger. When people think self-control, they say, oh, that is when you are getting angry. That is why you should not be angry. That is just one of the things it helps you conquer. One of the major things is lust. Lust rises up on your inside for anything. Some of us, no problem with lusting about men or women. But you see, that thing called food. Somebody say food. Food. Somebody say food. It's a big problem. And if you lust for food, you can never fast. You can never fast. And if you can't fast, your prayer life will be limited. <laughs> when they say it's time for fasting, you'll be angry with pastor. <laughs> See, you have come again. <laughs> I didn't force you. <laughs> See, you have come again with fasting, fasting. And then the day you try, at 10 o'clock, your leg will be shaking like that. <laughs> you have to deal with it. It's called self-control. You speak to your body. You say, body, it's not time for food. You stop. And those of us that are giving birth to children, this is part of how we train them. Once they pass that initial stage of needing to be fed a lot and fed a lot, you start to teach them about the regiment of food. Some of us don't understand that. Young parents, we just put food in their mouth. So by the time the man is 10 years old, he will be standing everything. Because he doesn't understand that there is time you eat, there is time you don't eat. You walk. If all of us are eating every time, where will you get the food? <laughs> so we deal with lust. It's called self-control. It's not a self-control doesn't mean you are controlling it by yourself. It is a fruit of the spirit. It is a power that works in you to control yourself. So that when the lust is coming in and covetousness is coming in, we can deal with it. Like David and Ammon, this is the problem that Ahab had. We read him very well. It was Brother Enrique that led us very powerfully this morning. First Kings chapter 21. He read the whole of verse 1 to verse 16. I just want to quickly read us verse 16. We know the story very well because of time. I'll just quickly tell us what happened in verse 16. It says, so it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard. Why must you kill a man to possess what he has? A vineyard? Another king who had all the land available to him. What was his reason? If you read the first few verses, he said that because it was next to his house. Must it be next to your house? Lust and covetousness make somebody behave like a fool. Godliness, 1 Timothy 6, 6, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Let us learn to be content with such things as we have. Never, never. When I was a little boy, I was live, we were living in a place where a lot of the kids around us, their parents were very high-ranking in government circles. This was back in Nigeria as a little boy. So these boys had the very expensive bikes. In my days, they called them choppers. They were very nice. They had gear shifts and things. In my days, it was very, very it was really hype. But my father could not buy me a chopper. He couldn't, couldn't. And all my all my colleagues, my father had a Toyota. All my colleagues, their, 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 their fathers had Mercedes cars that took them to school, chauffeur-driven to school. And as a child, I'll come out with my own bicycle. It wasn't a chopper. I ride my own bicycle. All of them are riding their choppers and changing gear shifts. My own is one gear. If you don't ride it well, you are on your own. <laughs> and I'll be riding it. And you know, we're kids. None of them victimized me. None of them laughed at me. And I did not feel any different. I did not feel any different. But I learned from that singular one experience as a child that whatever I have part-time is good. It's good. I got to where they got to by riding my own bicycle. <laughs> Hallelujah. By the grace of God, I don't know how many Mercedes-Benz cars, maybe three, now four, that I've used in this my life so far, fresh from the showroom, not a chopper again. A time will come when what you think you don't have now 
will suddenly become a normal thing for you. I say, what you think you don't have now will suddenly become a normal thing for you. Never let lust and covetousness take you over. The only thing that God cannot give you is another person's spouse. Don't covet that one. Because I say, what you think you don't have now? Don't say, ah, thank you, pastor. I've been hiding. <laughs> thank you for that prayer. This brother is mine. No, he's not your own. It belongs to her, whoever she is. But God is going to help us in Jesus' name. Colossians 3, I will read this very quickly. And verse 12. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Verse 14. Go straight to verse 14. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Verse 15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which you are called into one body, and be thankful. I start with the last thing. Be thankful. Every day, wake up. Thank God for your life. Thank God for your wife. Thank God for your husband. Thank God for your children. Thank God for your job. Some of us keep complaining about our jobs. And don't you know that there are people who are looking day and night to get that position that you have now. They are praying every prayer possible to have that thing you think. It doesn't mean anything. Be thankful. Be thankful. These are the things that help us to overcome the lust and covetous spirits and envy and bitterness and help us to prevent our hearts from going into hatred so that we will not be called murderers in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Rise to your feet and let's thank God because he has heard us today. Let's thank him. Let's thank him. Let's thank him. Let's thank